It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO3077. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. It's an honour and a privilege to be with you, uh, filling in for Dwayne, uh, just keeping the midday madness torch aflame. The promise you call, you get on. That lives on, whether it be uh, myself on Monday, uh, Julian DeStoop, uh, Cam Luke throughout the week, whoever it is that uh, fills in in the great man's absence, you can be rest assured that they will honour the promise that if you call, you get on on the Werribee Kia open line, one 736 736 Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. A couple of texts that I wanted to clean up off the 40 Winks temper text. Just chatting, I asked a question before, are West Coast going to be derelict in their duty if they don't give... Uh, if they don't make a trade for pick one, as long as they can get something quite substantial for it, do they have the luxury of just going, no, we'll take pick one and 23 into the draft and we'll just take our time? Five wins in the last two years. Can they afford to not put the foot down and get as much draft capital as possible? So I asked that question and this is some of the response that I got. Afternoon, Sammy. I listened to all of Cal's interview this morning and he did mention later on that he thinks West Coast will trade pick one. They will just wait for the big offer to come. They still have 17 days to do so. And Cal Toomey is an absolute guru when it comes to the draft and young talent. Freddie, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Hey, Sam, West Coast Eagles were a lot more competitive in the last two months of the season when they got on top of injury issues. Harley Reid will make a massive difference for them. To think they are derelict in not trading him says more about you having no idea than the West Coast Eagles. Thank you, Catter. West Coast will accept the North bid, but it will not be until very late. That's from Ross. Um, Take the best talent available, not the third best. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but... What has been offered so far wouldn't budge me. So apparently, according to Cal, Melbourne have offered pick 611, 42 and a future first. And North Melbourne have offered either pick two or three and then a couple of their later first round selections. Um, So why give up the best player for a very good player and some maybes? Doesn't make any sense at all. Hey, Sam, it's very Victorian of you to suggest that West Coast are in breach of their duty to their fans to not take North rubbish offer. I didn't say they'd take that offer. I said, but to take an offer. Uh, as long as it's a good one. The majority list experts all agree that after the first half dozen eight picks, then the talent pool drops away significantly. And the next, however many picks are pretty equal. However you want to give us up. However, you want us to give up a generational talent, which is my quote back to me, so that we can get one good player and a couple of basically average players with late first round picks. Maybe you and others in the media should leave the opinions to the people with the best knowledge and maybe just report the facts as they happen. There are obvious reasons why media people are media people and list managers are list managers and so on and so forth. It goes. Uh, have your say on that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 1116. Uh, Ian Smith's just dropped off. We'll get him back up on the line, Tomo, because I can see that he's just dropped off there. And we'll go to Rob in Tarnit. G'day, Rob. Oh, hi, Sam. How are you going? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Mate, um, just on that number one pick, you know how you're saying West Coast will just wait and wait for the best offer and, and then on draft night, who knows what they'll do. Can they just... Um, go up to North Melbourne or whoever or Melbourne to say, look, North Melbourne, we want pick two and three for our number one. And if you don't want to give that up, don't even approach us. Can they, can they do that? Yeah, they can, they can put forward anything that they want. It's whether or not North Melbourne are willing to pay that, which, and, and I've been told I should listen more to the draft experts. Well, the draft experts tell us that pick two and three is overs for pick one. Um, so they, 
North Melbourne might be, and given North Melbourne are in a very similar situation, they halved their pick one last year and got in what they got in, trading out the pick one from the year before, Jason Horn francis as well. So they've got pick two and three this year. Um, but they did bring in more draft capital by halving that pick last year and also trading out Jason Horn francis So they're trying to get as much young talent in as possible, uh, rather going for you know a quantity of, of top 10, top 20 talent. Um, and my question is, should West Coast be looking to do the same? And can they afford not to? Uh, we all think that Harley Reid's going to be a, a talent, the likes of which we haven't seen for a long time, a generational talent. But maybe it's just, they're just not in a position where they can afford to just hang, hang it all on that pick one was the question that, that I was asking, Rob. It's a tough spot for them to be in. And I think it's really tough for number one picks uh, as well. There's some great stats around, you know, how many Brownlow medalists have been pick ones. Um, how many All-Australians over the last 10 years have been pick ones? How many premiership players pick ones? And I think that's really important to look at. It's not so much as to what number you go, but it's also where you go as well. I mean, he is going to a club that's on its knees from an on-field point of view. Financially, they're good as gold. That's why they're a bit different to some of the clubs I've spoken about previously. Um, you know, like the Fitzroy's of the world, when you're comparing how bad they were in their final years to how bad West Coast is on field at the moment. I think Fitzroy won three games in two years. Five in two years ain't much better. It is better, but ain't much better. Um, so I think I'm not a big fan of pick one going to the 18th finishing side anyway. Um, and I think those are some arguments as to why. Um, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of expectation. And when there's 36 players on the field at one time, one player... Uh, especially in their first or second year, it can't be expected to make all the difference to what is poor on-field performances, obviously to lead up to a team getting that pick one. So I'm not a fan of the whole system anyway, but um, I look at it from two ve- two different points of view. Do West- are West Coast better served by saying, yeah, look, we'd love to bring him in, but we might be able to get a King's Ransom for him because of how good he is. And that's being pointed out to me. Why are Melbourne and the, and the Kangaroos offering so much? Clearly, he's the pick of the crop. Absolutely, he is killer in WA. But there are other good players in the draft too. And my question is, when you are at the depths that West Coast are, as great it would be to bring him in, are you better served in your pursuit to get yourself up the ladder and rebuild to cash in that fantastic commodity and get what might not be as good individually, but a, but a strong collection of picks inside the top 20, top 10. Um, but yeah, absolutely. West Coast can say it's this or nothing and then uh, do as they please. Tony's in Belfield. G'day, Tony. Yeah, g'day, Sammy. Can I talk about something that's really close to my heart? I'd love you is, to. Uh, branding colours in sport is very, very important. Even when people think that they don't matter, they do matter. Yes. So I'm a Hawthorne supporter, her. Tony. So I'm a Hawthorne supporter. So you preach into the choir, my friend. We have the worst colours be, in football. Well, you must be colourblind or very loyal. <laughs> I talk about last night's cricket game between Sri Lanka and England. Yeah. And how they could possibly wear, be wearing almost the exact same colour. Oh, it was now, crazy. Yeah. Since Australia introduced colour into cricket uniforms back in the 70s, there was a little bit of a settling period. And then slowly but surely, countries began adopting national colours. And there's one team in particular that keeps pitfarting around with their colours, yes. and that's England. Yes. Now, if they could just decide from tournament to tournament, they're always changing their mind what shade of blue, sometimes red they want to wear. I think Australia's gold might be in danger soon of England having a tournament where they want to wear a bit of yellow. 
if they could just settle on a colour, that would be great. But they've missed the boat now because all the other countries have been consistent with their colours. So England now don't get to choose which colour they settle mm. on. So we should just nominate that they have to wear brown because nobody else wears brown. What do you think? Should, should we be surprised, though, that England can't decide? They can't decide whether they won or lost the Ashes, the moral victory versus the actual victory. They can't decide what is and what isn't in the spirit of cricket. It depends to be. It seems to be what suits them, when it suits them. It should be no surprise to us, Tony, that England are in two minds when it comes to a uniform. When they're in two minds about pretty much all that there is in cricket, aren't they? Well, they don't even know what form of cricket they're playing any day of the week. So yeah. I was thinking very similarly along those lines. Thanks, Sam. Well, mate, great to get your call, Tony. I really appreciate it. I'm having some trouble getting uh, connected to Ian Smith over in India to preview uh, Australia and New Zealand. Gives us a good chance, though, to get to the MCG and just see how things are situated between Victoria and New South Wales uh, on day two of their Shield match, and an important one given both these two teams are at the bottom of the Shield table in the early stages of the Shield season. No better person to go to than a man I've got the pleasure of calling some Shield cricket with, and you hear him now very regularly on SEN. I think you'll hear him in the SEN Summer of Cricket as well. Adam White's been good enough to jump on. Whitey, hello, mate. G'day, Sammy. How are you going? Look, I'm very well. Thanks for just uh, agreeing to save our bacon. The great Ian Smith. Uh, is, we're just having a hard time connecting via modern technology with his phone uh, over at the World Cup, but which I'll get your thoughts on in just a moment. But where do we find ourselves uh, day two at the G? It's a big, I tell you what, it's a crazy day of cricket. Uh, a short time ago, New South Wales, incredibly, were eight for 54. Eight for 54. Yep. And then from that position, they've just lost their ninth wicket to be nine for 102. So Edwards has just been dismissed. So a 48-run partnership between Edwards and Jackson Bird. Now, Jackson Bird, as the number 10, currently is the highest-scoring player in the team with 29 off 22 balls. So it has been a bizarre day of cricket. It is difficult, the conditions. The pitch has a lot of green grass on it, and it's been difficult to bat for now one and a half days. But that being said, New South Wales, their batting hasn't been particularly strong. And as a bowling group, Victoria have been very good. Fergus O'Neill has four wickets. Scott Boland has three wickets. And uh, Perry has two. So they're doing well, Victoria. But considering where they were, we were starting to look up the record books for the lowest scores uh, in Sheffield Shield cricket history for New South Wales when they were 8 for 54. Does it make Victoria's first innings seem a little bit better on paper than it was at, at first glance when I was keeping up with it yesterday? I, I saw that just about all the top order got starts, except for Marcus Harris, who made a duck, and Will Sutherland made seven. But everybody else of the top and middle order got to double figures. So was it a more imp- was it was it a better batting effort than we than we might have thought, given how it's unfolded today, Whitey? Yeah, I think that's fair, Sam. I, I, I certainly think even as we were uh, describing the play yesterday, it was very difficult as Jackson Bird's going to be out here. He's been caught in the deep. So as a result of that, New South Wales all out for 102 in 41.1 overs. So Perry gets a third. So Victoria, Sammy, will be batting again. So we'll get to see Marcus Harris bat very shortly. And he desperately needs runs. We can talk about that if you like uh, shortly. So New South Wales, 94 runs behind Victoria's first inning. So getting back to your question, Victoria was sent in to bat yesterday. Um, so it was difficult, a lot of grass on the pitch. We had a delay to the start because the outfield was uh, was wet, so that meant that the when we did get underway, the outfield was very, very slow. 
And it was just high-quality bowling, particularly mm. from uh, Jackson Bird, uh, Chris Tremaine. You know, they've got a good bowling attack. Um, and Victoria, it was slow going. They spent the whole day going at just under two runs and over until probably the last sort of hour or so when that short was a bit better. But a combination of some bad batting uh, and a run out meant that Victoria gave up a pretty strong position because Travis Dean and Will Pukowski worked so hard against some some good bowling. But we saw some you know, extraordinarily low strike rates because it was just trying to survive in mm. difficult batting conditions. So Will Pukowski is the, the name we look at and just you, you've got fingers, toes and anything yeah. you can cross, cross. That, that, that he not only makes a, a safe return to Shield cricket, but a successful one as well. How did he bat to your eye yesterday? He hasn't played a whole lot of um, cricket at the highest level. He missed the second Shield game after playing the first, I think. What, is, what are you seeing when you're watching Will at the moment? Yeah, look, I think he's looking good. Look, he had a bit of luck yesterday. He got dropped twice um, in, in his time at the crease. But look, he batted a long time. He batted well over two and a half hours. So... And in, and in difficult conditions, we saw that temperament that we know. We saw the technique that we know. So it very much looked like the Will Pukowski of old. Um, so I don't think there was um, any concerns that he that he's lost it from a, a physical point of view. Um, so I was quite impressed with how he played. Um, so when you look at what he's done now in the three innings that he's had, two times he's batted for over two hours. So, you know, that whole occupying the crease and doing the job, he batted at three uh, in this game, not opening the batting like he did in the first game, but again was able to bat a long period of time. So, you know, I'm not suggesting he's at his best, and I think it's a very much a a game by game proposition for him at the moment with all the mental health challenges that he's got. But I, I do think it was a. I'm hoping that it was because it certainly looked like it a step forward, and it's not so much a a safety thing from a you know a concussion point of view and all that sort of thing. A lot of this is just. Um, you know, the mental challenges that he's got, the mental health challenges he's got in being a professional cricketer and the expectation that goes with that. You know, we know how um, everyone here, particularly in Victoria, you know, want him to do well because we know what a, you know, what a just a prodigious talent he is. But he's a, he's a precious talent. We, we, we're all trying to look after him and we're all nervous every time he goes out to play because we just want him to be successful because we know um, what joy he brings so many people with the way he plays his cricket. Waddy, um, to tomorrow's game, we, we've got a great rivalry and a great relationship with our friends across the ditch, the Kiwis. Um, but it is a, it's a crucial game for Australia, who are back in form, but you've got to win these ones. And New Zealand have been one of the form teams of the World Cup so far. To your eye, how do you see this one playing out? We've had the wood over them. It was the 2015 final, which we just accounted for them pretty comfortably. Uh, will that continue, the trend tomorrow? I think New Zealand deserves to be favourites. Yeah. I think that Australia, while in some ways they've turned the corner, I think in some ways they have. It's been largely due to a couple of players as opposed to a whole team performance. When I look at Australia and New Zealand, I see that Australia do tend to rely on a, on a couple of players to be able to get the job done with the bat, whereas from a New Zealand point of view, I see four or five guys that can all be particularly dangerous for New Zealand. And I think from a bowling point of view, I reckon New Zealand's got a better balanced attack than Australia. They've got different options that can cause some problems for Australia. So I kind of feel, and with the form that New Zealand are in, that they deserve to be favourites. But having said that, as you said, Australia psychologically would feel that they are a better team. We've got to remember back in the, um, the T20 World Cup 
that in Sydney when New Zealand beat Australia quite comfortably. Australia never really recovered from that. So that would be fresh in their minds as well, albeit a different form of the game. But I just feel that like, David Warner is playing unbelievable cricket at the mm. moment. Um, you know, we're going to see a situation where the team is a little bit unsettled in the batting order. Steve Smith made some peculiar comments uh, about the fact that he was going to move down to number four in the order with, you know, Travis Head back into the mix now. Where does um, Head bat? Where does Mitch Marsh, Marsh bat? All these sorts of questions that are sort of coming in to play at the moment just to accommodate Travis Head coming back into the team. He hasn't played a lot of cricket. So I think there's still some question marks for me around Australia. On paper, I think they might be a stronger team than New Zealand, but based on what we've seen over, say, the last you know couple of months, not just in the last couple of games, mm. I think Australia's still got a bit of work to do. Adam White, you're a star, my friend. Thank you for jumping on with us and giving us an update from the Shield Clash at the G. Enjoy the rest of the day. Fingers crossed Marcus Harris gets runs. Yes. I'm, just, I'm crossing everything that he gets runs. You are the uh, President, Treasurer, Secretary, and uh, number one, uh, official uh, ticket holder in the uh, Marcus Harris fan club, my friend. So I know you'll be cheering him on, albeit uh, with very uh, concise and measured commentary. Enjoy. Thank you. Adam White, tune in on KO, cricket.com.au. Uh, fantastic coverage, if I do say so. Uh, myself, the whole team that are there today will be doing a cracking job of Victoria and New South Wales. Tazia, three for 25. Uh, after bowling out Queensland for 379. South Australia, four for 105, chasing uh, Western Australia's first innings of 241. Joining Doveton, stay right there. Get your call on the other side of the break and some great texts coming through from people disagreeing or just not agreeing with the question I asked, should West Coast make sure they trade, pick one, and are they derelict in their duty if they don't? I'll read those out on the other side of this on Dwayne's World for the Kangan Institute.